0: What's up, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can help this show to grow, while also getting access to our exclusive Pride content, which includes shows like Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, Special Interviews, Lions of Liberty Roundtables, and much, much more. So check that out. Help us grow at lionsofliberty.com forward slash support.
1: Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty, with your host, Brian McWilliams.
0: What is going down in Liberty Town, my friends? Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 72. Of course, you can find all the show notes for today's jam-packed episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL72. And uh, hopefully you don't overhear any of the beeping going on outside of my uh, studio slash spare bedroom window (laughs) right now as these damn douche are digging into the dirt to build some apartment complex next to me, which hopefully I will be moved out of my apartment by the time it's actually in place and by the time the heavy... And even louder construction begins. Anyway. <laughs> Back to the show. Thank you all for joining. Uh, thanks for thanks for being a friend. Thank you for sharing the show. I haven't told you guys to share this podcast. Share the damn podcast. Bunch of scumbags. You a bunch of free riders. <laughs> Liberty free riders not sharing our podcast. But no, welcome. I am Brian McWilliams, as you probably already know. If it's your first time to the show, welcome aboard Liberty Train, and I hope you stick around for a while. So, First things first, I want to uh, talk a little bit about the situation with North Korea going on right now, uh, and then I'll get a little bit into the whole thing with the Gaza Strip going on at the moment and and Iran and how they're trying to wrap Iran into this whole thing. But let's start with North Korea. So at this moment, you've got this summit that's supposed to take place where Trump is going to meet with Kim Jong-un in Singapore. Kim Jong-un is supposed to meet with South Korean president, who I'm blanking on his name right now, but I think his last name is Moon, uh, over, in, uh, over in South Korea or, or in the demilitarized zone, I uh, I would presume. But now, that's all kind of being thrown to the wind. And this is this is following Kim Jong-un inviting the media, international media, to come into North Korea, to actually come to the nuclear weapons site and watch as they shut this thing down and dismantle it. I mean, that is a pretty amazing step considering where we were as of three months ago where North Korea is firing uh, missile tests over Japan. Quite the improvement. And now we've got this summit supposed to take place. And and today, well, yesterday uh, when this airs, yesterday you've got Kim Jong-un saying, well, you know what? Hold on. Let's pump the brakes a little bit here because now I don't know if I want to sit down with you. And you go, well, this is just North Korea being North Korea, as uh, my buddy Rico said in the email chain. But no, this is not just North Korea being North Korea uh, because—and I don't want to throw Rico under the bus. He uh, he was uh, being a little bit flippant. But the reason this is different is that you've got the United States and South Korea planning to hold— joint military operations right off the shore of North Korea that are explicitly designed to kill Kim Jong-un, to uh, cut off the head of his regime, to cripple his country and their infrastructure as quickly as humanly possible, and to avoid the least amount of damage to South Korea or, and or the United States, which I would presume means raining down fire and fury like hell hath never seen before uh, upon North Korean heads. So, if you're Kim Jong-un, why the hell would you just sit around and twiddle your thumbs and be like, yeah, yeah, hunky-dory, guys. You you keep planning those joint military operations right over there that are destroy, designed to destroy us all, and I'll just keep sitting over here just waiting for this peace treaty thing, and I'll keep uh, keep planning my denuclearization. I said that like George Bush. Denuclearization. I mean, come on. For people to be like, I can't believe it. Uh, uh, standard tricks. The sneaky North Koreans. Who, who in the right mind would watch this happen and sit back and not say anything? Of course he's gonna say, hey, I'm gonna apply this summit unless you knock this shit off. And really, why is the United States continuing to do this? I know Trump said the sanctions wouldn't change until North Korea denuclearized, but there's sanctions, which of course I don't support anyway, but there's sanctions, and then there's war games. Right there where North Korea can watch. I mean, that is clearly a provocation. I I I don't support war games being held on the borders of these these countries when when tempers could flare at any moment in general, but why would you do it now? Why when you've made so much progress are you like, well, now we're gonna continue to pro- to prod the bear? It's just stupid. And I know how Trump operates, and this is has revealed itself with the Iran deal. Uh, you know, I I discussed all the kind of you know the perplexity uh, of it or how i was perplexed by trump pulling out of it because i still think that the iran deal is one of the better things obama did during his tenure one of the very few things obama did that was good during his tenure and that the trade off to avoid a war escalation situation even if it's ridiculous to believe that israel or i'm sorry uh, that iran doesn't have nuclear capability already if they really wanted to have it and i somewhere they've got a bomb just whatever They've been, they've been working on a bomb since the, in the 80s, is when Netanyahu's Net like talking about it. It's like, give me a break. So, anyway, we've seen, though, that Trump will, she tries to escalate this thing to the point where he can get a better deal. Now, it doesn't seem like that's the case with North Korea, though, because you've already got the best deal on the table, which is them shutting down their nuclear ambitions, sitting down with you and sitting down with South Korea and talking about reunification. Now, I doubt South Korea would necessarily want that. Sounds like that's just adopting your drunk uh, your drunk poor and starving uncle to come live with you, but at least they're sitting down together. So this this whole thing it it doesn't it kind of jives with Trump's vibe and and Trump's strategy of going hardcore to pull it back, but it doesn't make a lot of sense in the long term. Anyway, that's the that's the North Korea news. There's not a lot more I'm going to add to that Uh, past the fact that it's just stupid to hold these military exercises. And, and this is an entree point into a much bigger happening at the moment, though, which is what's happening on the border between, uh, well, basically the Gaza Strip between Palestine and Israel, where if you've been following your news, we have seen what I would deem atrocities taking place at the border. There's protests on the uh, Palestinian side. These people that have been choked off by blockades that have been uh, basically treated as, in my opinion, somewhat subhuman by Israel and Israel's allies in the region uh, that have had numerous treaties broken on behalf of Israel and who are outgunned and uh, out-technologied, if that is a phrase you may toss around, uh, 45-fold. I mean, you've got Israel over here. With all of the money, all of the weapons, half of which are supplied by the United States for free because we give them our excess military uh, equipment often, including armament, including tanks, including munitions. And then you've got all of the weapons that we're selling to the Israelis on top of this, billions and billions of dollars that we're selling to Israelis. And then, of course, we back them in all of the international courts and uh, in all the international forums. So, Tuesday, you have all of these people that are mourning And holding funerals in the Gaza Strip because 60 protesters were mowed down by Israeli gunfire the day before. People that are protesting with sticks and rocks and flares and smoke bombs. Israel feels that it's justified in opening fire on and murdering 60 people, including women and including children. And this isn't the first time. This is a long history of these type of things occurring on behalf of Israel. Yet the United States stays stays silent in this. Because they are our ally, and as Rand Paul said in one of his more shameful moments, an enemy to the United States, or an enemy to Israel, is the enemy to the United States. This is lumping us in with Israel for no apparent reason other than because we want to hold, uh, I guess, the the foothold in the Middle East, and we consider them the best option no matter how many underhanded deeds they portray on us. Because Israel, by the way, is the number one hacker and the number one uh, threat to U.S. cyber intelligence. That was revealed in reports. So our best friend over there has been picking our pocket, spying on all of our goodies, and has hackers working around the clock to spy on us. So isn't that a lovely relationship that we're in? So anyway, news reports have been coming out. People on the ground have been speaking up about this because God knows the broader news media won't cover this as they should and tell the truth about the situation in regards to Israel and and what's happening in the Gaza Strip. But then you have allies, close allies of the United States, like the United Kingdom, stepping up and wanting to probe and, and look into charges against Israel, basically for war crimes against these Palestinian people in, in Gaza. The UK is calling right now for a probe into the violence that occurred on Monday with the massacre of these 60 people at the hands of the Israeli forces, uh, the IDF. And you've got a coalition of United Nations countries, which will leave whether or not the United Nations should even be acknowledged or whether or not the United States should be in the United Nations. It shouldn't. But you've got this coalition of countries that are stepping up and want to say, hey, we need to have a probe to look into this. We need to look at the actions that Israel's taking. And of course, Israel claims it's self-defense because these people are threatening their borders with their smoke bombs. Meanwhile, when the United Nations countries get together to suggest that this probe goes forward, the United States is the first people to block it. And it just, it blows my mind that we can send troops all over the world to fight and die for any any cause that the United States generals or president or whoever else deems worthy. Causes that have nothing to do with us, nothing to do with our military, nothing to do with the people that signed up to fight that war. Or lack of war, because obviously they don't declare anything, but they send people all over the place for these humanitarian, quote unquote, humanitarian missions. Meanwhile, turning a blind eye to all the acts of malevolence that Israel perpetrates in the Gaza Strip. That is inexcusable. I mean, it, almost, it reminds me a little bit of the UN had a resolution to condemn the killing of gays and The United States wouldn't back it. And do you know why we wouldn't back it? Because of self-interest. Because if they thought that if we say, okay, yes, we condemn the killing of gay people, then people could call us out on capital punishment and capital, on the use of capital punishment in our own country. So the United States was worried that we wouldn't be able to kill people anymore, kill prisoners anymore, so we couldn't condemn the killing of gay people for the crime of being gay. That just tells you how shameful the United States truly is, where our priorities lie. And this latest instance is just, I mean, it's upsetting because if nothing else, I don't hold any any faith in the United Nations. But if you've got this body of countries and a group of them want to look into 60 people being gunned down on a border who are virtually unarmed, that seems pretty legitimate. Meanwhile, the United States is saying that, oh, well, this is backed by Hamas, which of course is, you know, Hamas, which has won democratic elections in the past, (laughs) let's just point that out, Uh, but is is put together by Hamas and Hamas is putting all these, you know, this terrorist organization is putting these people up to it. Now, even if that were true, you've got women, children, and unarmed people at the border being gunned down by a massively armed force. That outnumbers them and outguns them, like I said, like a 50-fold. So are we are we in the position now we're going to broadly label an entire swath, or basically at this point, a country of people as terrorists? Is that what the United States is sanctioning And that in, in conjunction with Israel? We're sanctioning calling an entire nation terrorists because of the association with this group Hamas, which the United States has deemed as a terrorist organization. And now... They're, you can commit no war crimes against them, apparently, because now they're terrorists and terrorists you can kill in any number of ways. I mean, shit, shoot some, uh, <laughs> shoot some bl- blenders with the tops off, you know, just crank them up. Shoot those over the wall. Shoot some salad shooters over there. See if you can slice and dice them in any number of horrible ways you want to kill the terrorists. It's all good, man. Lava. Hey, Hawaii's got extra lava right now. Go uh, ship that over there. Dump that on the terrorists. They're going to love melting to death. It it is mind-bogglingly insane how the U.S. continues to back Israel, and there's nothing you can do against it. I wrote about this when Ron Paul had criticized AIPAC. God, I can't remember the actual breaking out of what each letter symbolizes, but the American-Israeli Political Action Committee. There we go. I did it. But the power of APAC is terrifying, because if you speak up in any way, if you're a politician or any number of people that are in the media, the broader context of media attention that can be harmed by bad publicity or by slander coming from APAC, you are simply branded as an anti-Semite. And in America, that is a very powerful term that you know, shockingly, despite the fact that people are called racist every day and anti-Semites every day now with Trump in office, it still holds a lot of power, that phrase. And when an organization like APAC brands you with it which they you, they wield that cudgel very liberally if anybody criticizes them then that can destroy a political career that's that's potent ammunition for somebody to use in a political ad against you for somebody to use in an op-ed against you and, and don't don't be under any illusions that they don't have their own paid uh people of power within the media that will gladly write an op-ed at the drop of a hat for APAC so sickening to see, um, you know, I'm not saying that everybody in uh, the Gaza Strip is an angel, but there certainly are not that many demons where you should wildly be shooting into a crowd to murder them. All right. On that somber note, uh, <laughs> I did want to bring in a new advertiser for the show, guys. So pep up out there. Sorry to bring you down. Let me bring you down before you up. Reverse that song around. Uh, a new commercial sponsor for us. Uh, also a a big supporter of our show as a listener and now as an official sponsor. So please do give this little ad for Conversation Mat Time your ears. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com. Once again, that is conversationmattime.com. All right, we are back. Back with more Electric Liberty Land. All right, let's dive into what was, I mean, I guess arguably you could put it at the top of the show, but I like to suck you in and keep, you, keep it till the middle of the show to get to the actual main subject of this, which is the ongoing idiocy of the city of Seattle, uh, the workers' unions in the city of Seattle, and the city council of the city of Seattle. Now, if you listen to last episode, which uh, if I remember, I will link to in the show notes, but really, I mean, you guys, how lazy can you be? Go back and <laughs> hit your, your back button. But on my last episode, I talked about the Seattle city, city council and the ridiculous tax they're trying to levy on companies that pay uh, or that have revenues over $20 million that reside within city limits. Primarily, this is Amazon, but there's a lot of companies up in that area that are fairly large. And uh, what well, companies you've heard of, you know, you'd know, you recognize them at the drop of a hat right off the tip of your tongue. They're just not on the tip of my tongue right now. But Amazon is the primary one. Amazon is constructing a brand new multi-level building there that's housing you know, hundreds and thousands of, uh, of employees. They already employ thousands of employees in the city, paying those employees quite a bit of money to work at Amazon, from which the city already reaps a huge windfall of taxations, not only in corporate tax, but in the paycheck and uh, local t- taxes on everybody's paychecks that come in. And they spent that money as cities do, very liberally, throwing it around in all sorts of projects, including those which are targeted at Seattle's rapidly growing homeless problem, which uh, they spent some $50 million on or something like that last year, and uh, and still the, the homeless population went up 37% in Seattle. I'm not going to go into the whole diatribe. You can listen to it then. But I talked about the regulatory uh, reasoning for why homelessness occurs in cities like Seattle, which are... So populous and well-paying, but still managed to drive people out of their homes because of a lack of affordable housing and how this is tied into rent control issues like in California here. And actually a quick, quick side note before I dive into the latest, absolutely mad hatter tea drinking ape shit, crazy crap that's going on in Seattle. Quick side note. I was talking to a buddy of mine. there was an article that Reason wrote, which is actually a pretty comprehensive article about. Issues surrounding rent control and why rent control drives homelessness, not, not helps it like people would, would commonly think if you didn't know what anything you're talking about. (laughs) So I'm on Facebook. I shared this article and I say, please, you know, please people in California read this and it's specifically about California and the housing crisis that's ongoing. So one buddy of mine is a smart guy, uh, responds arguing that rent control is a good thing. And of course, using personal experience, which is always the worst type of experience because it's a singular experience without any broader context, uh, uses his personal experience of, well, I'm a rent control. Uh, you know, I pay rent control and my landlord's a pretty nice person. And, you know, they, it's OK for them because they love it when people move out because then they can make the apartments, uh, they can upgrade the apartments. I'm like, well, yeah, of course. Of course they do. That's the whole point. You know, they they wait for people to move out so they can raise the rent and then they actually fix things. And that was my point to me that, look, you can have rent control, but you're disincentivizing everybody to make their apartments nicer. You're disincentivizing them to build new apartments because if you've got rent control units, it costs so much more money to build these. I went into this last episode. The side tangent I want to make is that we eventually got to the point, we did a few back and forths, a few long Facebook paragraphs. Because, you know, you can't hit enter in Facebook. Otherwise, it just posts the goddamn thing. So there's no way to separate your diatribes, which always pisses me off. But eventually we we came to a position where I argued my point. He argued his points. And he we came to an understanding that he understood where I was coming from. And he understood that the regulatory burden is disincentivizing people to build houses. And that is a problem. He still supported rent control. But... Having gotten him to budge and and admit that regulation is hampering everything that's going on here and that the homeless problem has gotten worse despite best efforts was a win. So the point I want to make here is kind of a little baby lesson in arguing with people on Facebook and also picking your battles. Because I won this singular battle. Like when he acknowledged this fact, I said to myself, okay, you know what? I'm going to stop pushing because I could go on a whole other diatribe and push this even farther. By pointing out the fact that he was, his essential point was there's so many homeless now, we have to do something to take care of the problem. And he acknowledged that that in the long run was not working. So that I took as a win. I could have pushed back and say, well, okay, your point about you want rent control now to help the people that are already on the street. To find housing, I could have pushed much farther in that and argued back that, number one, you're in a rent-controlled housing right now. And I think actually uh, my brother-in-law, Stephen, made this point uh, when because he, he weighed in. But number one, you're in rent-controlled housing right now. So you are not the target populace that's supposed to be benefiting from this. And in Los Angeles, the 90% of the people that are in rent-controlled housing are not the people that it's intended for anyway. They're just people that have been in these apartments that are never going to give them up and never going to leave, uh, which happens all the time. I know people that are essentially just they stayed in the same apartment for 30 years because they're not going to give up that $900 rent which would be $2500 in the free market system. So that's one point. The second point I wanted to make them though is that even you know even if you say okay rent control great it's going to help homeless it won't because if you're not building new houses how are you going to put rent controlled units in those houses or in those apartment complexes? Anything times 0 is 0. You could say every new apartment complex has to have 50% rent-controlled, affordable housing units in it. But you know what? If you don't build any of the fucking apartment complexes, you get nothing. So while I could have made all these points, I feel like you all you do when you continue to, to hammer somebody, especially when they've already conceded some of your points, is to build ill will. Especially in the context of social media, where it's out there for everyone to see, and it's just like, at some point, people just stop reading as well, so you're wasting your own time. And you're just screaming into the void, as I do every day, to this microphone. So, anywho, getting back to Seattle. And the apeshit crazy shit that's going down. So, Seattle has an organization, it's a workers' union, called Working Washington. And they're a real thorn in the side for any business that's just trying to be a business. And they they point out that Amazon has, in fact, benefited from some cronyism in, uh, in the city, which is natural. And you'd expect that of any city. Pretty much what happens uh, anytime government gets involved, they play favorites. But they now are trying to file, I guess they filed a lawsuit uh, to prosecute Amazon for intimidating a public servant. And... They say that the public servant is not actually a singular person. (laughs) It is actually the city itself. That is who the public servant is. They're trying to get Attorney General—actually, I'm sorry. They have not filed this lawsuit yet. They're they're trying to get Attorney General Bob Ferguson for the city of Seattle to file a lawsuit to prosecute Amazon for (laughs) intimidating a public servant. So number one, let's just point this out. The city is not a public servant. The city exists because people moved to a place and then established a city, which is in in theory supposed to work for the people, but it is not itself a public servant. Uh, You cannot consider any organization or institution a public servant as a singular entity. Doesn't make any sense. Completely idiotic. Even if you wanted to go that far and say the city is a public servant, then you open yourself to all sorts of legal ramifications anyway. But... Let's get back to their basic argument. And let me just read a little bit of their uh, their letter to Attorney General Ferguson. As you know, I'm oh, sorry, dear Attorney General Ferguson, as you know, on May 2nd, a top Amazon executive stated the company was, quote, putting a pause on expansion in Seattle, in an attempt to influence the city council to reject a proposed 26 cents an hour tax on the largest companies in the city to address our housing and homelessness crisis. This was a clear threat by Amazon to do substantial harm to the business and financial condition of the city of Seattle, if public officials did not act as they demanded. This is something you'd expect from a subprime mob boss. Subprime mob boss. Sorry, that was me. Lording it over a company town. And that's not just a metaphor. It's a felony under state law to threaten substantial harm to the business condition. Blah, 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 blah. So they cite this law, RCW 9A.76.180, intimidating a public servant, stating that a person is guilty of intimidating a public servant if, by use of threat, he or she attempts to influence a public servant's vote, opinion, decision, or other official action as a public servant. And they say it's a class B felony. Now, every single day in every single city, in every single realm of politics, you have this happening ongoing. So again, you cannot consider the city a public servant in that way because lobbyists, how many lobby organizations exist? 400,000 in the United States. This happens every single day. Sitting down and having a conversation with somebody, if you work for the government in any capacity, could be considered as as falling under this, intimidating a public servant, because if you're trying to sway or influence them uh, by use of a threat, which and, and, uh, their broad definition includes saying, well, I'm not going to have my business here, then you would just have lawsuits galore happening, wouldn't you? I mean, it, it's so idiotic that only people in the city of Seattle could invent it. And let's just take it a step farther. So let's say they convince the attorney general or the attorney for uh, the city of Seattle— To actually go through with this lawsuit, to actually try to prosecute Amazon for saying, "If you tax us twenty six cents an hour per employee, we will take our business elsewhere," which is their free right as a company and as a group of individuals. So, if you try to prosecute that, and you succeed, and you don't even interest, forget it. You don't even have to succeed if you try to prosecute that. What's going to happen to every single business in Seattle, not just the big ones, not just the $20 million companies that you're targeting with this horse shit. No, every single business in Seattle is going to pick up the tent and move somewhere else because you've now established a precedent where the city will sue somebody because they don't want to work in the city. You're basically trying to say, we're going to hold you hostage. We're kidnapping your business, and we're going to hold you here and subject you to any sort of Byzantine, ridiculous, uh, money-grabbing shit that we want to perpetrate on you. And if you try to leave for greener pastures, if you try to go somewhere where the people are slightly more sane, we're going to take you to court. There is no chance that this actually happens. But it just goes to show you these people in these unions, these people in the city council are so far removed from sanity and from reality that they will file this type of thing. And and they believe this nonsense. They believe that they're in the right. They believe that Amazon should be forced to stay here and be subject to any sort of taxes or any sort of mandates on wages that they should put in place. I mean, let's not forget Seattle already has a $15 minimum wage, which has proven to be disastrous, by the way, for the economy. As far as the low, lower-paid jobs go, yeah, good luck. It's lowered them, predictably, because that's what always happens when you try to put an uh, inflated minimum wage in a place without actually economic foundation for that to, that would warrant it, without the demand for the jobs that would warrant it. For the, I mean, that's skilled labor wages. So the question now is, With all of this going on, how quickly are we going to see the mass exodus from Seattle? Seattle is one of the biggest, boomingest economies out there, fueled by technology companies such as Amazon coming into that region. How quickly can Seattle destroy its own economic largesse? It's going to be fun to watch, people. I know I'm going to keep a close tab on it. So anyway, that's the latest out of Seattle. Uh, I just... (laughs) I can't, it's like, it's like such a love, it's such a love hate thing. It's like, I, I can't get enough of just how insane they are and it makes me laugh, but I still just, I feel because I worry that it's going to spread like a disease out of the city of Seattle somehow. Like people are going to be inspired by this and try to pull this garbage in Los Angeles or anywhere else in the country where liberals find a, uh, a nest. All right. So another thing on this kick because there is a openly avowed socialist in Seattle City Council, I wanted to naturally segue into this little uh, this little story here. So councilman, oh, I'm sorry, Assemblyman Santiago has introduced this bill which essentially wants to smush together Lincoln Day and Washington Day, which I guess elementary schools and middle schools celebrate where they learn about Abe Lincoln and they learn about George Washington. He wants to smush them into one day, which takes place on the third February of the month while also designating May 1st as International Workers' Day. Now, of course, this is taking a page out of the May Day book that Vowed socialists celebrate in other countries, including France, which we saw mass amount of violence, mass amount of private property destruction take place as the spoiled unionized members of that country decided to riot in the streets. Despite having some of the most union and labor friendly working conditions that you will ever see in a country that has been uh, industrialized. Actually, I'd say you're not going to see it in countries that aren't industrialized, are you? (laughs) They have to live in the real world. But yeah, we saw a lot of violence in France, Uh, tons of cars, tons of shops set on fire, people rioting in the streets, people uh, assaulting other people. That was what happened on May Day in France and uh, numerous other countries around the world. So this guy, Santiago, wants to introduce a bill to celebrate the labor movements in the United States. And he wants to do that, and not only just to, to, to learn about it, not only to have them teach the students about it, but he also would like to make it a paid holiday. So if you want to celebrate socialism, celebrate all of the people that died under communism during the theorized labor movement, which resulted in how much corruption, how much murder, how many people being put out in the gulag, and widespread poverty, widespread famine, widespread uh, lack of jobs, and a completely collapsed industrialized marketplace or economy, then yes, let's, let's go ahead and push that through, Assemblyman Santiago. A smashing idea that's indicative of the current political climate of true moronhood, if I can introduce that phrase into lexicon that has settled so deeply into California. Fortunately, though, we've got some other options uh, in other states, not in my state at the moment, but uh, we have some other options in, uh, in states, including one Dale
1: Kern. So take a listen. My name is Dale Kearns, and I'm running for United States Senate in Pennsylvania as a Libertarian. I'm a concerned citizen who has had enough. I work as a project manager for an electrical contractor in southeastern Pennsylvania. There I manage large commercial and industrial projects. I'm a husband and a father of two energetic little girls. I'm running to advocate for a society where my girls have more liberty, not less. Will you support our campaign? Unlike my competitors, I'm not a career politician. I don't have millionaire and billionaire donors. I'm running for Senate in Pennsylvania because I want to take the message to Washington that we want government out of our lives. Will you let me be your voice? Let me be the voice that says we will not walk quietly down the road to serfdom. The voice that says we need free market solutions. The voice that says we need to end the failed war on drugs. The voice who will fight for the forgotten man, nonviolent offenders wasting away in prison, and addicts who are afraid to speak up and seek the help they need. We are seeking members for our campaign team. I encourage you to apply. We need donations to help us spread the message of liberty across the state. We can go on hoping for liberty to happen, or we can fight together. I hope you choose the latter, and join me today. Find out more at DaleKerns.com. Paid
0: for by Dale Kearns for office.
1: All right, so you heard that. That was a good
0: campaign ad, right? Well, turns out there's some pretty terrible ones out there, too. So I want to introduce you to a doctor that I heard about, and, uh, and let me just play her ad for you, and then we'll go ahead and break it down for the last, last few minutes of the show here. Is there a female doctor in the house? There's one in this house, but zero female doctors in this house. Meet Dr. Nadia Hashimi, pediatrician, author, mother of four. I'm running for Congress to bring my expertise on healthcare to a place that has zero female doctors. I'll protect Planned Parenthood, combat opioid addiction, ban assault weapons, and fight for affordable health care and prescription drugs. I approve this message because Congress has too many multimillionaires and politicians mansplaining healthcare. Anyone, is there a doctor in the house? Who says that outside of a sitcom? Are we on friends? Is Joey walking in here? Is Ross uh, making a joke? Actually, that's more of a Matt Perry line, right? More of a, more of a Chandler line? Jesus Christ. So anyway, let's, let's start right at the top of this ad, even though it's so the ending is so annoying, I, I want to start there. So at the top of this thing, where, where does it say that there's a requirement to have any doctors uh, of any sex in the house? And why the hell does it matter? Because arguably, it doesn't in any way in any shape or in any form. Because you know what? As a governmental representative, your job is to oversee a great many things. And just because you happen to be a doctor doesn't mean that you know shit about many of the other things that I care about, like taxes, like regulation, like trade, like the economy. So I should put you in there because there's already clearly a male doctor in the house or else she would make such a big deal about a female doctor being in the house. It's because there are already plenty of doctors in the house. But no, we need to get a female doctor in the house to somehow paradoxically uh, force parenthood down people's throats. It's interesting when you find a doctor in there. And, and you know, granted, I'm a person that is very much pro-choice. I know a lot of libertarians on the pro-life side, but I am I am pro-choice with some restrictions. Uh, I do believe there has to be a cutoff, like for example, in the third trimester. But Overall pro choice, but still. So, you got to be a doctor going there to protect Planned, ha- Planned Parenthood, which is, uh, you know, as some people have affectionately called it, an abortion factory. No judgment, but I'm just saying what people have referred to it as. Somebody that's going to go in there and what? Well, I mean, force people to use their tax money on a private institution, which gets $500 million from the federal government already, uh, which could easily. Overflow its coffers if everybody that really gave a shit about it just gave it $5 instead of posting some diatribe on Facebook and changing their profile picture into something stupid with a PP on it. If you haven't noticed, this woman's whole campaign is based on identity politics, by the way. I'm a female doctor. And I love what she's talking about. Well, you know, I'll be going through. Hold on. Step by step, Ryan. Step by step. Day by day. So, yeah, female doctor in the house. And then, of course, she's going to get in there. She's going to solve the opioid crisis, which, you know, she's not going to. There's no way you're going to go in there and solve the opioid crisis, which, of course, I think can be solved more easily by simply deregulating and legalizing all of these things, including marijuana, because we've seen that addiction rates, heroin overdoses dropped dramatically, like some 30 percent in states that have legalized marijuana and in countries that legalize marijuana. You look at places like Portugal, which has solved its own opioid crisis and drug crisis by legalizing everything. They have had zero issues, dropping crime, dropping overdoses, dropping uh, in transmitted diseases. But no, you go ahead, you get in there and you solve the opioid crisis. Let me know how, you, how that works out for you. doesn't go into details. What's next? Oh, you're going to go and ban assault weapons? Okay, tell me what an assault weapon is. Take me into a room full of guns and point out to me which ones are the assault weapons. Because if you could do it, I'll give you a nice shiny nickel, maybe a buffalo head nickel, something that's worth something. You know why? It's impossible. You can't do it because assault weapon is a made-up term. Assault weapon applies to weapons that look like they're scary. That's what an assault weapon is to people like this Dr. Hashimi, who is going to go in there and and try to force through some bill that's going to throw way too wide of a net that misunderstands what an assault weapon is because there's no definition of it. So what you're going to do is you're going to banning guns that are used for hunting purposes or can be used for self-defense legally that have no setting that makes them automatic, that has no bump stock that exists that you can slap on it that's going to magically transform it into a weapon of killing destruction. Instead, you're just going to ban legal guns from people that want to use them for legal purposes. So good job. Good job. Let's let's go. What's next? Oh, oh, I know you're going to fight. You you want to get in there because there's too many multimillionaires that are in there. Well, I'm sorry. You're a you're a doctor with a thriving practice, right? So you're just what, a a single millionaire? you're not you're not a multimillionaire like these people you hate that are in government, like the Bernie Sanderses of the world who have never actually had a job outside of government, but are still multi millionaires. Maybe learn what the hell you're talking about before you make one of these ads. And then of course we finish up that these. <laughs> These multimillionaires are mansplaining healthcare. Mansplaining healthcare. I don't even know what that means. Again, like the assault weapon phrase, that mansplaining is a phrase that means nothing that was invented by people who didn't know enough about a subject to have a real argument with somebody about it. So they decided that they were being talked down to so they didn't have to have the argument. That's what mansplaining is. It's when cuz you think about it I've had plenty of conversations with people where they knew more than me. They were men, they were women. Some of them might have been in the middle. I don't know, but they knew more about me than a certain topic. Were they mansplaining or transplaining or whatever to me? No, they were just telling me their point of view. And you know what? In particular, you would think they'd say, "Okay, well, maybe men try to explain things more because, number one, that's the psychology of a man. Men are problem solvers at our basis. You know, this has been long established uh, psychology. Women like to talk about problems. Men are problem solvers. So if a woman brings up a topic, a man's going to try to explain that topic and try to solve the problem rather than just talking about it. So that's now considered mansplaining where men are more driven to do that in general. And also, let's not forget that men, as still being saddled for, you know, you can you can deny it and say that the women's sexual revolution has happened, but men are still expected to be the aggressors in most sexual... Uh, sexual displays, sexual wooing events in public or uh, anywhere. So you've got a lot of men that are going to go out of their way to explain things anyway to try to show, oh, look how intelligent I am. Look how smart I am. I would be a, a wonderful mate for you should you decide to pity me and take me into your bedroom. So you've got all those factors. But really, like I said, the whole phrase mansplaining simply comes down to people that don't like to be explained uh, things that they don't know about because it makes them feel dumb. And by saying that someone's mansplaining to you, you now have a, a get out of jail free card. So, yeah. So please tell me more about how people are mansplaining healthcare to me because there's already a doctor in there, but he, that doctor, he's not good enough because he's a man. You need a female to get in there into Congress and explain to you how healthcare works because she's a woman. And, uh, for some reason, that means that she has a completely different take on what would actually fix the problems with healthcare. Exciting. Because you know what? If Ron Paul, a Dr. Uh, OBGYN of I don't even know how many decades, and uh, one of the most learned men that has ever sat in Congress, can't explain healthcare, care, then uh, I'm sure you can't either. Let me just plainly state that. But God, this, I mean, the, the whole political ad, it's like you check off the boxes, on uh, like, okay, what are the most popular things that people are, are trending on Twitter? Mansplaining. Mm. Okay, opiates. Mm-hmm, that's a good one, too. All right, uh, let's talk about a little bit about assault weapons. That gets everybody riled up. It's like, seriously, this woman, her focus group was YouTube comments. <laughs> Just, oh, uh, God. Frustrating. Frustrating. Now, she's running at seven other people, so I doubt that she'll get very far with a, with an ad that ridiculous, but we'll see. Maybe we'll get treated to another one. Maybe we'll have a little, a little dessert with our dinner that we just enjoyed there. All right, one more thing to round the show off. Actually, two more things. Number one, gambling, on a federal level at least, sports gambling has been legalized. The Supreme Court just ruled that uh, the... Oh, I got a blanket on the name of it. It's the, It's basically an act that protects student collegiate athletics. And they said that is uh, commandeering. You can't simply order states to obey the whim of the government and and uh, control what people can do as far as their sports gambling because the government saith so. Which this bill was put into place, I believe, in like the 70s. And the target of the bill was to say that, oh, well, you know what? Gambling is corrupting our youth and that people were being paid money to shave points in games, and we couldn't allow that, even though there's like 10 instances of it happening. It's incredibly hard to pull off anyway without being obvious. You would lose your scholarship. You'd be kicked out of school if they found out. There's all sorts of disincentives to this. And simply by making something illegal doesn't stop it anyway. So all it did was provide a special cronyism to states that already had, quote-unquote, grandfathered in betting, like Nevada, uh, like Atlantic City and New Jersey, And so Chris Christie had sued to say, look, we want to have our whole state do this. And other states already had preemptively filed bills in their home states to legalize gambling. One woman, uh, actually one governor actually had already put forth $25 billion of the budget towards uh, expenses that would be raised from funds garnered from gambling. Once it was legalized, she was that confident in it. So it was in their budget, but long story short, it now goes to a state level. So, while we can all uh, huzz- hooray and huzzah about it, it's coming down to state legislatures, what they want to do with it on an individual basis. That's all I'm going to say about it because we're going to do a very special Degenerate Gamblers episode for our Pride members this week. And I'm going to talk to you about uh, with this Rico is going to be on the show. He's a lawyer. He's give us his legal expertise, opinion on it. We're going to have John Odermatt on there as well. So we're going to break it down a lot more coherently there and in further, uh, further detail. So I'll uh, sum it up on my end. And just to end the show on this Rick and Morty, which I did an entire episode on, or not an entire episode, but half an episode on talking about how it is the most libertarian show on television at the moment. Yes, even more than South Park right now, it is the most libertarian show. Rick and Morty has been renewed for 70 more episodes, which is amazing. I'll make a quick couple points about Rick and Morty. If you haven't watched it, you need to. Number one, in one of the episodes, Rick destroys an entire. Basically, an entire country populated by uh, versions of himself from parallel dimensions and, and takes down this entire bug society by changing their currency, their fiat currency, from a one to a zero. And, of course, everything turns to pure havoc as people try to come to grips with having all of their money become worthless. It's like Venezuela. Great episode. Number two. The entire thing is a premise that he despises government, despises regulation, despises basic laws that would seek to control his personal liberty. What's not to love there? Number three, they made a fantastic observation about the nature of government with the Citadel of Ricks, which again is this society based upon Ricks' different versions of himself from parallel dimensions that all work in the Citadel, having an overarching controlling city council called the Council of Ricks, which ran everything. And you know what? It would turn out like any other city. There were poor Ricks, there were rich Ricks, there was cronyism, there was incompetence, and basically he took the entire system down while making the point that even in a society which is populated by the smartest man in every galaxy in every possible universe slash dimension, which is Rick Sanchez, you still have government corrupting people into being complicit idiots who are completely corrupt at their core and a system that simply does not function and must be brought down. And on that, I will end this show. So, guys, remember to listen to Mark Claire on Mondays, John Oderman on Fridays. And by the way, I thought it was a little hot this episode. Uh, my mic's running hot, and I can't seem to figure out what the hell is going on with it. I let my computer to Mark, because his computer was broken, and I think he jacked my settings up. And I don't know how to fix it at the moment, and I need to get this episode out. So... Apologies if you heard a little bit of twang in there. If it got a little hot, it will be fixed by the next episode. So uh, my sincere and heartfelt apologies for that. But don't let that stop you from supporting this show. We are now on Patreon. We are leaving Podbean which can suck a giant dick. They, uh, as you might've noticed, completely crashed our feed out. They didn't get it up for a couple of days. They, uh, by the way, for our pride members, our audio quality was not as good with Podbean, even though we complained to them multiple times. So, Goodbye, Podbean. We're going over to Patreon. If you guys come and join now, you get all sorts of fantastic perks. If you're already on Podbean as a patron, please switch over to Patreon now. We promise you we'll make sure you do not get double charged. They don't bill you to the 1st of June. And uh, we welcome you with better audio quality. So come on over to the Patreon Pride, guys, and we will be there with open arms, hugs and kisses, and all that good stuff. Okay? Okay. All right, guys, until next time, I am Brian McWilliams saying adios from the Lions of Liberty from Electric Liberty Land and always reminding you to stay plugged in to liberty.